Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right. So as I uh, mentioned earlier in the message, in the uh, service today, you know, I think baptism is probably one of the greatest outward uh, imageries that we see of bending our will. And when we say bend our knee, we're talking about the posture. There's postures to our worship. Uh, and I, I'm, I keep asking if anybody remembers, but it seems to me that nobody quite ever remembers. So we already talked about uh, raising our hands, lifting our hands, and uh, bringing a gift, um, I think, was the one we talked about. And um, you can go back and podcast to catch up with us in any series at any time in this church. And we want you to because uh, I'm a little worried that, that sometimes people, all the Bible they get is what they get on Sunday morning. And I'm just saying, maybe we should up our game a little bit there as followers of Jesus. But if you have a Bible this morning, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 2, which we've used a few times already in this series, but it's so good, we just got to keep coming back to it. I told Janet to come and start playing the synthesizer like five minutes into my message because that's how fast I was going to be today. And so by faith, we can see God do miracles. Oh, I'm having a hard time here today. All right. Gone, now it's back, now it's gone, now it's back. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we've been following the story of these three wise men, more than likely newfies. Well, three wise men, we know it wasn't three, uh, but uh, all the newfies in the house said, there's no newfies here today. That's weird. We usually, we usually have a few. Yes, boy, there we go. All right, so when they saw the star, Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, when they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, uh, frankincense, and myrrh. They fell to the ground and worshipped. The NLT reads this way. We'll put it up there for you as well. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, before we get to the really deeply spiritual truth that I want to reveal to you today, because we do that here, uh, I, I don't want it to escape you that this did not happen the night that Jesus was born. Now, I know that the nativity scene we set up, you know, it's got the wise men and the camels and the gifts are all there, but... But in fact, Scripture doesn't record that the wise men showed up that night. And that, that makes for some interesting circumstances, if you ask me. And we're gonna, just going to open those up for a minute this morning. The first clue in uh, chapter uh, 11 is they entered the house and saw the child. Now, that's the, that's the clue because we all know that Jesus was born in a stable. So the wise men didn't come in and see him in the stable and fall on their knees in worship, but they came to a house, and it doesn't say whose house or where. Maybe, maybe Mary and Joseph had a rental, you know, but uh, maybe, maybe they bought a place. I don't know. Maybe they decided, well, this is where he was born. Miracles happened here. We're going to stay here for a little bit, but in the fullness of whatever time it was, and scholars think it was likely two years based on what the rest of Scripture says, uh, and I, I, although I'm not a scholar, would tend to agree with scholars because... Why wouldn't I agree with scholars? But we think maybe it was up to two years later that the wise men 
finally showed up. And before you hack on the wise men, they came a long ways on camels or donkeys, maybe even on foot. And maybe they had a lot of people, you know, maybe their wives were there. You should stop and get directions. I don't know what the wise men, wise voices would have sounded like. But uh, I'm thinking maybe like Boston, Eastern U.S., you know. You always get us lost. I just imagine that that's what kept them so long. I don't know how you got to church this morning, but even though we know our way here, sometimes there's a discussion. But so, so the wise men come maybe two years after this night that Jesus is born. And while we're not trying to be definitive on that, the, the clues are, are there. And what's interesting is the wise men showed up in succession or in alignment with Old Testament prophecy. The, the timing with which they come, the timing with which they talk to Herod, the timing with which Herod tries, uh, uh, takes an a, attempt at genocide or infanticide, he, he kills off every male child two years old and under in the whole area because he's so fearful of this baby king that, uh, that he might be the fulfillment of prophecy. And, you know, all of these things are fulfillments of prophetic words from the Old Testament about Jesus. So I hope that you'll continue to read in your Bible and read for yourself some of these things. Because uh, if, if you read on from chapter 2, you, you'll, you'll kind of get to put it all together. And it's really, really important. So Jesus basically brings us to this point. Jesus is now a two-year-old. Praise God. And there has been a star following these poor people around everywhere that they have gone, conceivably, for the last two years. Now, I don't know how you would feel about that, but the first thing for me is that I like it dark when I sleep. And you can just bear with me for a moment here. The, the star that the wise men have been following have traced down through whatever scripts they were reading, scripture no doubt, because they knew about some of the Old Testament prophets, they quoted them, but they followed this star from wherever they came from, and this whole time, this star has been guiding them and then stops over the place where Mary and Joseph are. And, and, and I just saw a picture of this this morning when I was finishing up, and you know, it's, it's typical. It's kind of uh, claymation, not claymation, but flannel graphy looking kind of old school churchy painting. But it's this star above a house, and what's the star doing? Well, it's beaming down directly, a beam of light directly down onto the house of poor Joseph. That's annoying, right? That's annoying. Like, I cannot stand it. If I'm sound asleep and Pastor Amy goes in and she turns the light on in our ensuite, I wake up because I need it dark to sleep. I think it's hard on Mary to sleep. It's perpetually light outside because of the star that follows Jesus. That's annoying. But you know why it's so annoying? It's because you're new parents, and not only are you new parents, but you're the new parents of a two-year-old. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've never experienced a two-year-old. Just raise your hand if you've, if you've had a two-year-old. Okay, raise your hand if you've, if you've ever uh, held a two-year-old. Raise your hand if, if you've ever been around a two-year-old. Raise your hand if you've ever been at the mall and saw some parent lose their mind because of a two-year-old. Two-year-olds, what are they called? What's the two-year-old stage called? The terrible twos. And Jesus, fully mad. Fully human was two. And you say, oh, come on, Pastor Trav, little baby Jesus, the, we sing it away in a manger. He's just tender and mild. No, he's two. 
Jesus probably had messy hair. He probably had a, a runny nose. He probably ran around, yes, without sin. But is it really sin to push over your mom's favorite plant accidentally? Of course not. It just happens because two-year-olds are like little Bugs Bunny Tasmanian devils on cocaine. Right? You remember the Tasmanian devil from Bugs Bunny? Yeah, that's two-year-olds. They got crackers smeared across their face and stuck in their eyes. They have jam from yesterday's breakfast stuck in their hair, and you don't even want to know what's under those little fingernails. A two-year-old can look you square in the eye with a smile on his face and go, and poop right in front of you. Now, I'm not making fun of Jesus. I, I would never make fun of Jesus. I'm just saying that Jesus was a two-year-old. And on top of him being a two-year-old, these three wise men, or these, these wise men bearing three gifts, show up to worship. Like the last thing Mary wanted on that day was company. <laughs> My child, the Son of God, thank you, Holy Spirit, is he's all up in everything right now because he's two and he's real. And now we have unannounced guests from Newfoundland show up. I believe that's called uh, mummering. Some of you know mummering. Yeah, I learned about that from, uh, from a good friend a couple weeks ago. And, and, and in a way, that's what happened. I mean, they didn't know who these people were. You ask Anufi if you want context to this little conversation. How would you feel if you were Mary in that moment? How would you feel as Joseph in that moment? That you just, in your chaos of life, of normal, happy, healthy life, these three guests show up, and they come and they spoil your kid. We're worried about the sucker man at this church. The lineup of two-year-olds out there. Sucker, sucker, sucker. He's just handing them out suckers. Handing them out suckers. More sugar, more red dye. Can't hurt. Guys, this was Jesus. And if it wasn't Jesus, just so you know, we're in a lot of trouble. Because the Bible makes us one promise, and that's that we have a high priest in Jesus that identifies and understands with every weakness we will ever face. He really gets us because he really lived like us and with us. And it's important for us to know that without making fun or making light of who he really is. It's who he is. I wonder if Jesus could wipe his nose with supernatural power. He just realized it's just gone. I wonder what he did. I wonder as a two-year-old what it looked like and what he did. And What amazes me is that these kings, these wise men, these men of wealth, men of power from where they came from, they walked in and they rejoiced at the start, but they walked in and they see this two-year-old king. And what's their response? Flat out face down. They bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped a two-year-old. Now I know there's some moms in this house right now that worship two-year-olds. You guys are on your knees even. Don't fall. Don't do it. Right? But then, that wasn't, these guys weren't saying don't. They were just, this is the one. This is the one. Why shouldn't we bow down and worship? 
if men who are arguably better than us, richer than us, more powerful, more wise than we are, why wouldn't we bow down if they did? But more importantly, in the book of Psalms, chapter 95, verses 6 and 7, the psalmist wrote, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. Bowing, as Pastor Tice showed you a few moments ago, is a little more difficult for some of us than others. I'm always amazed at how children can be running across a room like a gymnasium with a hard floor like this, and they can throw themselves up into the air and land on their knees. That makes me feel all kinds of pain, like real pain. It's not just imaginary. My knees actually hurt watching them do that, and I don't bow my knee as easily as I used to. But I do bow to things still. I notice that men, sometimes more than women, have a hard time bowing, especially in places like church, the presence of God. We have a hard time lowering ourselves or raising our hands or allowing someone else to be more important than we are. And that's not really our intent, but nonetheless, it is what comes across. Because we have a hard time bending our knees. But the contradiction that I feel we need to talk about this morning is that we often bend our knees other places. You bend your knees at work all the time. You get low to get a job done. You get low to pick up something heavy. You bend your knee for your wife when you got married, I hope. If you didn't, well, yikes, you should have, yeah. I hope you bent your knee when you asked her, gentlemen. We bend our knee for our children. We reach down. We scoop them up. But for some reason, when it comes to the presence of God and the awesome reality of who He is in person among us by His Spirit, we have a hard time bending our knee. And that's why we're in a series called Come to Worship. Because the posture of a bended knee is significant for our Creator. He said, come let us worship and bow down. It's a statement of invitation. David writing this did not make, an, uh, he, he did not make it the law. He didn't legislate bowing down. But it was rather a statement of invitation. Come, come with me. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord who made us. The Hebrew word here, is shaka. And that word shaka is used over 170 times in the Old Testament. Bowing down or falling flat on your face, as the other way is translated, was a real common thing. And in fact, today in this world, there are many cultures that observe bowing as a regular part of everyday life. The Japanese bow at business meetings. How do North Americans walk into a business meeting? Chest puffed out, made sure your exhaust was all tuned nice on your diesel pickup when you pulled in, right? Company logo on the chest. We have a different take on honor here somehow. Chinese bow in India, they bow. I mean, even in Great Britain, they bow and they curtsy. Australia, they bow and they curtsy for honor's sake when they enter courtrooms. But not here, not in, not in Canada. We don't like to bend our knee. 
We don't like to, for one second, even allow someone to be higher than we are. And you know, I think that God has grace for that, but the problem is that we do bow to so many other things. We bow for work. We bow for our boss. I need you here Sunday. I don't care that it's your kid's birthday. I need you here. We got to get this job done. Yes, boss. I'm there. I'll be, I'll be there. Yes. And meanwhile, the church begins to be unattended, uncared for. Events begin to fall apart. People are left stretching beyond what should be their capacity. Or your kid goes to bed again without you praying with him or her, putting your hand on him and blessing them every night as they go to sleep. Now, I'm not trying to be critical or smack you in the face. I'm just saying we sure can bow to other things, so why not Jesus? Why not Jesus? The posture of kneeling comes across in three ways. I'm going to share, I'm going to share with you three ways that this posture comes across. The first is kneeling in pursuit. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you actually can kneel in pursuit of something. Like, that's really what getting engaged is all about, guys. Right? When Pastor Amy, the day came, I was going to ask the question, I kneeled in pursuit of her. <laughs> I, oh, I did. Because I was like, this better work. I did it in front of people because I'm an idiot. Most of you guys are smart. You go somewhere quiet, private. I'm like, no, let's find a thousand people to get engaged in front of. That's smart. Oh, babe, thanks for saying yes, by the way. But I kneeled in pursuit of my wife, and I'm not the only person to ever kneel in pursuit. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of Mark, there was a rich young man who ran after Jesus. He chased Jesus down and knelt in front of him. He, he was kneeling in pursuit of what Jesus possessed. And these were the words in Mark 10, 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He came running after him and knelt down. So kneeling in pursuit. But then we also have the posture of kneeling as a sign of repentance. Kneeling in repentance. And in Luke 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, When Simon Peter realized, everyone say realized, when he realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck. Do you remember that moment when Jesus became so real to you that you were awestruck? And it wasn't very hard to come to your knees at that moment, was it? I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes those sensations can wear off. And because the feeling wears off, I don't follow through. But can I just suggest something to you this morning that maybe if we want to be awestruck by God, if we want to see Him do the miraculous things that we know He can do, maybe we need to take the step of bending our knee first rather than after. I believe that we will accomplish more from our knees than we'll ever accomplish with our feet. Running around like a chicken with your head cut off will not get anything done. It'll just get blood all over the place. But 
when I spend time on my knees in the presence of God, when I bow down, when I make myself low in comparison to him, he comes through for me. The real gravity begins to sink in when we see what Jesus does for us. And if you've been feeling a little bit distanced from that, maybe you just need to get into your prayer closet. Maybe you need to get to a quiet place. Maybe as we sing songs, you just need to find a way to bend your knee to let him move. Just let him move. The third posture of kneeling is to kneel in submission. To kneel in submission. Luke 22, 41 and 42 says, He walked away. Now this is about Jesus. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down. Everyone say knelt down. He knelt down and prayed. And this is what Jesus prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Even Jesus, even Jesus took the posture of kneeling to pray to his heavenly Father. And why did he do that? It's so that he would have the strength to stand before Pilate. Jesus knelt and prayed so that he would have the strength to endure the cross. Jesus knelt to pray. And you know what's interesting? If you read on in that story, after Jesus knelt to pray and had this conversation with God, the, the Bible says he began to pray even more fervently. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something about posture that changes the spiritual dynamic around us. When we raise our hands in praise to God, it changes the spiritual dynamic of the room. And I want to submit to you this morning that when we choose to bend our knee and kneel down before God with our requests, our petitions, our prayers, that it activates, not that it changes God's perception of who we are, but I think it activates something in us that is not there when we simply stand. I think it activates faith. I think it activates hope. I think it activates a greater desire to see and even to ask God to move on our behalf. Because it did for Jesus. And if it did for Jesus, how much more do I need it? Kneeling to pray is what gave Jesus the strength to stand. I want to close with this. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. I'll just say this to you. We are all going to bow in the end. Every one of us. Whether we believe or not, whether we have seen or not, whether we have chosen to put our faith in him or not, we are all going to bow. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says this, and please listen. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
when we humble ourselves in obedience to God, God elevates us. When we humble ourselves, we make ourselves low under God's hand. He lifts us up. One day, every human being that has ever been will stand before God. You know what's interesting about my God? I've watched movies about wars and kings, modern, ancient, drug cartels, the Babylonian rulers. They make a movie about everything these days. And every single time I see one of those movies, I see what is typically depicted as the evil ruler demanding one thing. You must bow before me. You must bow before me. You must bow before me. But I want you to, to note something about our God. Nowhere in Scripture does he ever say, you must come and bow to me. What he does say is you will not bow to anything else. You won't bow to idols. You won't bow to wealth. You won't bow to, you won't bow to any of those things. But he doesn't tell us straight out to bow to him. You know why that is? I shared this at the Christmas banquet a couple nights ago. It's because truth is self-evident, and he is self-evident. And one day when we all stand before him, there won't be angels forcing anyone to bow. St. Peter won't be there with a stick poking people in the back of the legs. I tell you what's going to happen. We're going to be in the presence of God on the edge of eternity, and we are going to see him as he really is, and we are every one of us going to say, oh. and every knee will bow. And as, this is what's so important, and as every knee bows, then every mouth will begin to confess. You see, our posture, our posture comes in front of what we want to happen. And if I live my life in a grandiose posture, I should never expect God to honor or reward my humility, should I? If I live my life puffed up with pride, how could I ever expect God to lift me up? We can bow now, or we can bow then. And that's often where we leave that conversation. But I just want to wrap up by saying this morning, I choose to bow now and then. I will bow in his presence every time we sing together. I will make myself Lord, whether it's done physically upon my knees or in my spirit and in my heart and in my mind. I will posture my soul under his mighty hand. And if you would do the same, I believe you would begin to God see, God, see God break through in your life in new ways. I think that there are people in this room this morning who are desperately hoping that God will break through. But have you ever asked from the posture of a bended knee? I want to pray for you. And we're going to close with a song. It might be appropriate for you to literally bow your knee today. No pressure. 
if you bow your knee just because I preached to you and said bow your knee, I, I think you've almost missed the point. We need to bow our knee because the presence of God is here, not because the pastor said so. We need to bow our knee because we once again are awestruck. The weight of what he's done becomes real to us again. We're going to sing this last song. I'll invite you to come. If you need ministry in any way this morning, you're most welcome to come. We have people who love to pray with you. And they're going to come and stand at the front. And you can approach any one of them as we sing this closing song. And they will pray with you for whatever you want. It doesn't matter what your circumstances. They will pray with you. They will stand with you. They will talk to God with you and on your behalf. We need to each one of us ask a question this morning. And that is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Some of you are more saintly than I am. Some of you pray better than I do. Some of you... Man, your knees are probably wrecked because you're so good at praying. And God bless you. But it doesn't really matter where we come from this morning. It's where we choose to be right now in his presence. So Holy Spirit, as we ask this question, what do you want me to do with what I heard? I pray, God, that you would open every ear in this place right now in the name of Jesus to hear your voice. God, that you would help us to understand what it is about our posture in relationship to you that pleases you, that allows us to see and allows us to participate in what you're doing. Jesus, we thank you for the cross today. We thank you that you were obedient even to death on that cross as the perfect offering for our sin. so thankful for it, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.